Heavy Networking by the Packet Pushers is sponsored today by IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash packet hyphen pushers for over 65 hours of IT training for free. That's itpro.tv slash packet hyphen pushers. itpro.tv slash packet hyphen pushers. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Scale your data center. That's something that our sponsor today, Cumulus Networks, enables you to do. Build the network as epic as you like. To sort out the details and read customer testimonials, check out cumulusnetworks.com slash epicpushers. Today's Heavy Networking introduces Nornir, an automation framework written in Python. We're chatting with three of the Nornir developers to explain to us what the heck a framework is, what I'm supposed to do with the Nornir framework, and how Nornir fits in with my other automation tools like Ansible and so on. Our guests today are David Barroso, Kirk Byers, and Dimitri Figgle. I hope I, I pronounced all of your names more or less correctly. And uh, let's go around the table real quick. I just want to meet you guys and understand who you are and what you do. So in a sentence or two, David, starting with you, uh, who are you and what do you do? Hi, thank you for having me here. It's, uh, it's an honor and a pleasure. So my name is, as you said, David Barroso. I'm a principal engineer at Fastly, even though I'm today representing myself. And I don't know, a bit of myself is um, I focus on everything, network and coding. I've been uh, the co-author of Napalm in the past and now on or near. Great. Nice to have you, David. Uh, Kirk Byers. Yeah, so I'm founder of Twin Bridges Technology. We specialize really in network automation training, mainly around Python and Ansible. Excellent. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, Kirk. I know we've talked before. Uh, Dimitri Figgel. Thanks for having me, Ethan. I'm Dmitry, systems engineer at Cisco. I'm in charge of design and implementation of software applications and automation systems. And I help David and Kirk maintain Nornier. Excellent. And Dmitry, I think you and I met at a Cisco Live Europe in Berlin, maybe? Does that sound right? Yes. Yes, I thought, that is correct. I thought so. I thought so. All right, gentlemen, first question. Uh, David, I guess this is going to go to you. At a high level, what is Nornier? So Nornir is an automation framework written in Python. It's designed to be very modular and, and flexible, and it basically provides you with the building blocks to get data from various inventory backends, provides you with connection plugins to interact with a variety of network devices, a bunch of tasks to perform operations like generating config, uh, deploy them, validate them, uh, get data from devices, and so forth. Okay, we're going to dig into all of that. But first, I got to ask, how did Nornir get its name? I, I did a little Googling trying to figure that out. And it looks like there was some Norse gods that were invoked. Uh, explain that to me, how Nornir got its name. <laughs> yeah, so that's an interesting story, actually, because we actually launched initially with a different name, uh, Brigade. But <laughs> we got a Microsoft developer uh, reach out to us because they had open source a couple of weeks before us, another tool called also Brigade. Or also for automation, although in the Kubernetes space. So we decided to change the name to avoid confusing the, the community. So we did some, I don't know, we had a few discussions and we, we came up with this Norse mythology thing called uh, Nornir, which apparently are some uh, sort of beings that rule the destiny of gods and, and humans. So we thought that was kind of an appropriate name for, a, for an automation framework. And I think that was somewhat driven by that at the time, Patrick Ogenstad and you were both living in Sweden. So we had sort of a Swedish bent to the people that were mainly working on it at yeah, that point right. in time. 
Yeah, I'm I'm based in in Stockholm, Sweden, and Patrick was also contributing quite often. Uh, he's also based in Sweden. Although I think David might have wanted really to get the cease and desist letter from Microsoft, so I'm a little bit surprised we uh, switched as quickly as we did. <laughs> <laughs> now I have visions of Thor from Ragnarok uh, coming down <laughs> with the lightning and the axe as he's about to slam into his enemies. All right, so that's a good visual to have for Nornir. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, uh, which high-level problems does Nornir help solve? Why do I use this thing? So, I mean, the, the main reason why you would use something like Nornir uh, to automate your network is because, as I mentioned before, like Nornir provides you with building blocks to do various things that are not uh, the problem that you're trying to solve. Like, when you're trying to automate your network. Like You don't really care about how to get data from the inventory. You don't care about how to connect to the devices. Like, you just want to do something, like generate config and deploy it, or connect to the device and get your uh, VLAN configuration and make sure it's, it's right. So Nornir pretty much helps you forgetting about all those details and just focusing on your, on your business logic. So I'd add a couple of points there, and this is sort of clarifying what David said. So I think I really like is, and I think this will really help people is, so it has concurrency built in and, you know, concurrency, especially for people that, um, you know, are trying to ramp up on problem on Python, that can be a fairly hard problem to solve. So you have this concurrency built in, and then it also gives you sort of a systematic way for managing your inventory, managing data. And then it sort of makes some of the glue code to other open source libraries, mainly Napalm and NetMiko. It makes those parts and gluing those things together uh, easier. Got it. Okay. So it it sounds like one, one of the core things here then, and, and I, I read all I think I read all of the documentation you guys have written so far, but it saves me from having to think about a lot of the fussy backend details that I would otherwise have to think about. Is that fair? Yeah, correct. Like the main goal is to make sure that you don't have to think about uh, everything that you don't care about. Yeah, like you <laughs> right. care about certain about certain business logic, and 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 so you should be able to focus on that without caring about multi-threading, like uh, like Kirk was saying, or or whether to use Napalm or NetMiko or how that thing connects to the devices, et cetera, et cetera. Got it. Uh, so from a standpoint there, it's kind of an abstraction layer. It uh, It's hiding some of the details away and gives me uh, a common interface to use without having to know about the underlying libraries or tools that might be getting used uh, by Nornir to get that information for me. I'd probably word that slightly differently in that you still sort of call NetMiko and Napalm, but it's a slimmed down way of doing it. So we have these plug-in system and there's basically plugins for NetMiko, plugins for Napalm. So you, you still end up calling them and passing them their arguments, but it, just, it does make some of that glue that you would typically have to do in a Python program a lot easier. Well, maybe the next thing we should talk about then are, are frameworks. So uh, I come from a background of, uh, with Python, of being familiar with uh, the, the basic rudiments that Python gives me, all the different commands and looping structures and so on that I can use, and then adding libraries to extend Python's capability, which often are abstracting away all of the Python rudiments that are being used to accomplish things for me. But a framework is something else. What is a framework then? How, how do I use a framework different from a library? So I think the main difference between a framework and a library, like to try to make it as simple as possible so people understand, is that uh, a library is usually a, a black box. Like using Napalm or NetMiko as an example, you have a set of methods 
where you say like, do this, and that thing happens, right? Like you have no say in what's actually going on inside that method that you're calling. A framework, on the other hand, it gives you uh, a set of uh, hooks and, and building blocks that you can use to actually trigger your own code. Like for instance, like if you're familiar with Flask or Robin Rails or, or Django, those are frameworks to build uh, web services, right? You have mechanisms to very easily define a, an endpoint, but when a user hits that endpoint, what's actually executed is the code that you wrote into that uh, function that defines the, the endpoint. So Nornir is a bit like that. Like it's not a black box. Uh, it just gives you hooks um, and, and building blocks that you can leverage to run your own code. Now, Dimitri, we haven't heard much from you uh, yet. When you heard about this project, Nornir, and uh, that it was a framework, what grabbed your attention about it that made you want to contribute to this project? Oh, at first, when I heard about it, uh, my first response was, why is they are reinventing Ansible? <laughs> <laughs> but then later, and we will discuss this a little bit more later, but I found that I need much more flexibility with uh, how I'm approaching network automation. And I took a closer look at Nornir uh, and, you know, I started going through tutorials and I realized how much more powerful it is. And this is what grabbed my attention. I started using it in my work projects and because I needed some features, I uh, started contributing to the project itself. Now, you said a key word there that perked my ears up, flexibility. Would you say this is really why you want to use a, a framework and not just a bunch of custom you know, Python or whatever scripts that you would use everywhere? I guess it's hard, hard to make the statement. From, from my perspective, it's still like a Python application. Just when we are talking about Nornier as a framework, it just put, put some guarding rails around the code that you write and provide some abstractions that, that you should use. But it's still a Python application. So for me, it's just yet another Python application that I write. Yeah, and I'd add on a little bit, you know, there with, you know, the question of like, you know, why not just use custom, you know, whatever language scripts. And I, I think the really problem for, or really for organizations, less so for just individuals that are doing specific tasks, but for organizations is there really is no system um, when you do that. So you just have sort of ad hoc programs everywhere and it ends up causing, you know, difficulties with, you know, duplication of work, conflicts with what you're doing, loss of knowledge as staff leaves, as staff comes. And, you know, to me, it really boils down to, like, there's really no systematic approach to what you're doing. And I think really for organizations, that starts to cause a lot of problems when you're in that uh, situation. You guys have mentioned Python, and, and Dimitri, you just made the point that you're still writing essentially a Python script, uh, even when you're using Nornir. But some frameworks, you're kind of in a different world when you're using uh, that framework because you're using their own language and verbiage and so on. So is this, what does it feel like when I'm using Nornir? Is it, is it, is it Python? Am I actually writing Python or am I in that own little world? So you're definitely still writing Python. Uh, you just you have one additional abstraction or a couple of abstractions for how you approach the data for your uh, devices, what we call inventory, and how you approach concurrency. This is what Kirk mentioned before. It's, essentially, it's still Python. 
Okay, so therefore, if I'm going into using Nornir, I do need to know Python, or I need to know some Python anyway. That is correct. You definitely need to know at least some Python, how variables work, how you work with files, stuff like that. I think it all depends on what you want to, to do. Like I have certainly seen people opening issues on GitHub and coming to Slack and asking questions that you can feel that this is actually the first time that they touch some Python code, that they saw some examples somewhere, some blog posts, maybe the documentation. They copy-pasted that uh, code and made a few tweaks and it more or less worked. So, I mean, I think that more than knowing Python, what you need is the will to learn Python. Okay, and that's that's another interesting thing here. So the internet is great for this. You find a block of code and then you tweak it to do what you needed to do. And maybe you don't understand the code especially well, but you do understand enough of it to make it work for your scenario. This is also true if we go back to router and switch configurations written in Junos or iOS. You can steal a block of code you find in someone's blog post, tweak it a little bit, and you don't have to understand all of it. As long as you kind of know enough to make it work, that's good enough. But what I'm yes. hearing here is if you know Python, you're going to get more use out of Nornir that, it, you know, copying and pasting a block of code and tweaking it, that might be okay, but you're better off if you actually understand the language a bit. Yeah, so the internet's great and terrible here, right? You know, great <laughs> that uh, you can do this really quick, but terrible in that, you know, you don't really understand what's going on. Okay, so uh, then we should pause here for a second to talk about education for Python. So, Kirk, I know you teach some classes, so please feel free to tell people about that for a moment because I've actually taken some of your classes in the past, and uh, and just I think that's worth bringing up. Yeah, so I mean, the, you know, there's been these longer term trends going on with more and more automation going on in network engineering, which is part of broader trends, right? With automation sort of happening all over industry in general, there's big interest in automation and really, as far as general purpose programming language languages, Python has definitely got the majority of the mind share in um, network engineering. And I, I think rightfully so. And you could talk about the reasons for that, but it's got the mind, you know, majority of the mind share. And, you know, as we were sort of talking about a little bit earlier for like the skills that you need to be um, learning and improving on, you know, there's definitely a set of things like learning about data structures. So things like lists and dictionaries, how to modify lists and dictionaries, learning about things like flow control, like how do you do looping constructs, you know, then starting as you get, you know, into it a bit more, starting to think about reusability and how you build modular blocks and how you can get this great win that you get in programming of being able to reuse things uh, that you built before. But, you know, as many people have mentioned, you know, programming is a big skill. So there is a lot of stuff ultimately you need to learn and you need to decide like, how much do I want to learn? And how much do I need to learn for the specific set of things that I'm trying to accomplish? Yeah. So Kirk, if people are interested in learning from a, you know, instructor perspective, you know, the, 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 the this, the way that you offer instruction, where do they go to for that approach? Yeah. So, you know, the, my first thing that I, you know, I've been running for like five or six years is I run a free Python for network engineers. And this is, this is definitely towards introductory level, definitely towards beginners. And I'm, I try to make it be so that it's, it's Python fundamentals, but I try to wrap it in a little bit more friendly context for network engineers. So 
I try to give you more examples that are related to network engineering, more exercises that are related to network engineering, but it's still, we're talking about like Python dictionaries and mm-hmm. Python lists and Python for loops. So it's definitely still Python fundamentals and definitely still oriented towards beginners. And if you search for Python for network engineers, uh, you know, on Google, you should see me pretty quickly. Perfect. Okay. And, and for those of you that are just never gotten into a programming language and, you know, Python is interesting to you, you know, Kirk's a great resource. And then there are also a number of books you can find. You can search for things like Python the hard way, and there's a huge Python community out there. So it's not hard to get into it at all. And Python's one of those topics that you can go as deep as you want, um, but you don't have to. You can get the basics in pretty short order, just a few lessons, and kind of get comfortable with uh, you know the rudiments, and then start doing things that are interesting to you, specific to network automation. So, going back to Nornir, we don't don't think that because we're talking about Nornir as a framework, and you need to know Python, you're like, oh, screw it, I don't want. I wanted something you know simpler or that isn't a programming language. Don't don't be intimidated by that. Just jump in and learn. It's technology like anything else, and you can get a handle on it. Uh, quickly and in, in from an internet perspective easily because there's just so much information out there uh, to learn from Kirk and and others uh, if you get into it. We pause our podcast discussion for a word from IT Pro TV. They are flexible online technical training and are offering a free membership so you can try them out and expand your IT career. Try IT Pro TV out and access 65 plus hours of IT training including Microsoft and CompTIA courses at no cost and no credit card required. Training helps you take advantage of the career paths available in IT. A recent MIT study shows that IT occupations have grown by nearly 20% between 2004 and 2017, and that's more than eight times the growth rate of other career paths. Earnings are growing for folks in IT as well, even though earnings are flat for college grads on the average. IT Pro TV can help you take advantage of these trends with courses covering CompTIA, Cisco, EC Council, VMware, and more. There are over 4,000 hours of binge-worthy, on-demand training presented by engaging hosts that use a talk show-like format. And they are live every day. Content goes studio to web in 24 hours. Courses are conveniently listed by category, certification, and job role. You can find exactly what you're looking for easily. You can also stream IT Pro TV's courses live and on-demand worldwide via Chromecast and Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, on your PC or your phone. No matter where you're at, you can learn your stuff, you can pass your exams, you can earn your certs, and then land your next great job with the help of IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash packet hyphen pushers for over 65 hours of IT training for free. That is itpro.tv slash packet hyphen pushers. One more time, itpro.tv slash packet hyphen pushers. We thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And now, back to the show. All right, gentlemen, I want to uh, get the sense of Nornir and how it fits into other network automation tools I might be using. So let's start this way. How does Nornir fit into my my network automation tool set? What does it replace? What does it complement? I think the answer will be different for every one of us. So in my case, Nornir replaces tools like Ansible. So for me, it's a, uh, it's a main tool I use for specifically for network automation. And I the other things that complement it would be some web frameworks like Flask or Django. So in my case, entry point for my 
network automation systems are usually some kind of web application uh, or web form or whatever it is. So that I, you know, I use that web framework, but when I click a button on the backend, I call Nornier. So this is one of use cases. For some other programs, I use Nornier as a network testing engine. So I want to make sure that I have specific number of BGP neighbors, that my software version is correct on the device, that my STP root is the device that it is supposed to be the root, and stuff like that. So for that, I use Nornier in combination with PyTest, which is Python testing framework, to make sure that my network is working the way it's supposed to. But there are obviously so many other different use cases. David, do you see Nornier as a something that was designed to be a replacement or or more filling in a gap? So in my case, it was a replacement for, for Ansible because, I mean, I've been using Ansible for many, many years. Like I remember talking at Nano about uh, Napalm and Ansible, like I think it was like five, six years ago. And so I've been using Ansible for a long time, but the more you use it, the more you realize that they're trying to reinvent programming language in YAML. Like you have hmm. flow control, you have for loops, you have uh, you can assign variables. So in the end, they're just trying to reinvent the language. And they're trying to do it for a, for a very good reason, because you need that to, do, to implement complex workflows. But the problem is that you start having issues uh, when you have to start implementing complex things, because you have all the power to implement them, but you don't have good tools to troubleshoot or debug code as you would have with a real programming language. Like with Python, you have the Python debugger, for instance, where you can just set a a trace point and execute your code and get a shell right in the time where your code uh, reaches that point uh, in the execution. So then you can start, I don't know, inspecting the variables, inspecting the memory, uh, going to the next uh, line of code and things like that. So you miss that when you have... uh, a DSL. I and- would miss that desperately. I use the PyCharm IDE and love being able to set checkpoints and see where uh, what my variables are at various points in time. It's just once you're used to using that, it's hard to live without it. Yeah, Dave- correct. David mentioned earlier this idea of a DSL and how Ansible, you know, keeps adding and adding features. And you know, that's a general and a DSL means a domain specific language. So that's a general characteristic of what happens there is across time, those DSLs, they start adding and adding more features and they basically start to converge on becoming, you know, a full programming language. And then you sort of have questions of like, basically, okay, why, why am I using, you know, this, which is starting to approach on a full programming language and not just using a programming language like Python. Yeah, and something else that Dimitri said, I mean, he mentioned that he was building uh, a web interface for his automation system. I think that's also a key point because at some point you will want to, um, like, you, you, will have, you will want to have, like, some sort of front-end to your, to your system, whether that front-end is a, a CLI tool or a, or a web interface. Um, if you have a DSL, now you have to start doing very weird things to be able to shell out and execute a command line uh, command, which is going to be well, whatever your DSL provides. Uh, while if you're using like pure Python code, like Nornier does, 
then you can just leverage Flask or, or Click or, or Django or whatever other framework you want to use to, to front-end your, your application. Yeah, and I'd also add with, with Ansible is Ansible as a platform is really um, focused on config. And it can do configuration reasonably well as long as you stay in this declarative format where you just have a series of tasks. But whenever you get into the state where you have to add a lot of complex logic, whenever you have to try to change um, data structures from one format to another, whenever you have to do these very common things in network engineering where you go and gather information, make, make decisions based on that information, it can get you know, just very, very painful, um, very quickly. Um, so it really can feel like you're just sort of banging your head on the wall to do something which in Python would be very uh, simple. So there is like a set of cases where Ansible works very, very well, but there's also a set of cases where you can just run into a lot of pain very quickly. Well, it sounds like we're talking about some different use cases here. So, I mean, I think of Ansible as being good at uh, configuration control and management, uh, making sure that devices are in the state that you want them to be in, and and that's its, you know, that's a good place for it. But uh, first of all, is that a fair place to put Ansible? Yeah, I agree with that, and I would sort of add that even a little bit step farther than that, that you really almost need to be in a what I'll call a declarative state. Like I think Ansible for networking can work really well if you treat your entire configuration as sort of a black box and you either completely swap it in, um, you know, your new state versus old state. But even in config, it gets to be challenging if you're trying to make incremental changes on it. Like, so you add, you know, a set of whatever NTP servers and then you have to start adding, asking questions of like, okay, I added two. Are there any others besides the two that I already have? And do I need to do additional steps once I find, oh, there's two more, and I need to do additional steps to actually build that dynamically to remove those other two? That, that can actually get sort of crazy hard uh, very quickly. So I think Ansible works well in config, but you have to really operate in this declarative way without a lot of logic in your mm. playbook. Interesting. You reminded me of a commercial solution. I've got some familiarity with uh, Glueware that in that exact example, it, it does have that logic to deal with that for you, but it's a commercial solution. You know, you're, you're paying for that extra capability it has to know. I added two new NTP servers, but there were three other ones that I actually need to get rid of to get to the desired state. Uh, you're, you're pointing out here that, um, you know, Ansible is, um, it, you're jumping through hoops to make it do that for you. Yeah, and there's, and there's workarounds with Ansible, like, you know, if you couple with Napalm and you can do this directly in Ansible as well, but where you do a full configuration replace. So even though you're only changing two NTP servers, you start with your current config, you swap in those two NTP servers, you say, this is the entire new config that I'm going to load. But then there's obviously a whole bunch of processes and procedures that you need to put in place as an organization to make sure that I'm comfortable with that, that that works properly, that I'm not, you know, adversely affecting anything else in that workflow. Mm. And then there's this a different situation where we're not dealing with config as such, but we are maybe reacting to situations on the network. And this is something I've talked to uh, uh, some of the guys that work with Salt uh, about this, where Salt seems to be 
um, okay at reacting to changes that happen in the network environment and then implementing some sort of an action uh, in response to that. Ansible doesn't really deal with that situation as I understand it, but does uh, Nornir, or could I conceivably use Nornir in that situation, reacting to different network situations? So it depends on how you implement it. Like, um, like Nornir follows more or less the same model as, as Sansible, where you are pushing uh, something. Uh, however, because of what we were saying before, that it's just Python code, so you can hook it with, with, what, with whatever. Um, something that you could do, for instance, is uh, hook uh, your Nornir co code into something like Stackstorm and have Stackstorm the one uh, triggering the Nornir um, code when when something happens in the network. So that's how I would do it myself. Like instead of having like this massive system, just have smaller uh, composable systems. I have another use case where I do re React driven network automation with uh, Nornir, and in that in that scenario, we set up well those alerts or those uh those events directly on the network devices using something like em or some other techniques and when some event happens like uh, route changes or specific logs log message appears uh we do webhook to the to the some web url um so we have a web framework listening for that event and when some specific specific event happens then we delegate some change through Nornir. Yeah, that's that's similar to the example I, I was given. Like, point is that Nornir is not listening to any any change, but should mm -hmm. be very easy to hook something into Nornir that is listening into those events. Got it. Okay. Uh, earlier, we mentioned Napalm and NetMiko. They came up as tools that are that are called, I guess, uh, by Nornir. G can you explain that in more detail? There, there might be folks out there that know Napalm and NetMiko but are not familiar with Nornir and want to understand how they're integrated. So Nornir provides all the all the building blocks to like connect to the devices and and whatnot, right? So one of the building blocks that it provides is what we call the connection plugins. A connection plugin is just something that knows how to interact with, with a device. And some of the plugins that we have today are like NetMiko and, and Napalm. So you basically get a, a set of tasks that are going to be uh, using these connection plugins. And those tasks can be things like, oh, Napalm get. That means that you're going to be getting data out of a device uh, using Napalm, like get interfaces or get a little DP neighbors, whatever. And then we have others like uh, NetMiko send configuration, where you're going to be able to use this NetMiko connection plugin to just send configuration via, via NetMiko. So basically, any interaction with a device is going to be uh, performed by a, by a third-party library that Nornir can uh, interact with instead of having to reinvent again the, the wheel in here. And NetMiko, just for a little overview, NetMiko is more legacy SSH oriented. Napalm is more, in general, is more API oriented. And Napalm has more uniformity between um, for the devices that it can manage, but it's a smaller set of platforms. So, you know, there's basically, you know, cases when Napalm would probably be a better fit, and there's cases when NetMiko would probably be a better fit. 
Yeah, they're both serving to normalize data coming out of a, a multitude of different devices when there is no standardized API across all these different platforms. You know, they serve to to be to again normalize data coming back to you uh, that you can work with uh, that structured data. Is that that correct? Yeah, that's definitely more more Napalm and to a certain extent NetMiko. Um, NetMiko is really trying to simplify the you know Python programmatic interface into devices, but using a legacy method. So it's all SSH um, and yeah. all cough and I'll say telnet, um, you know, but it's all legacy methods into devices where Napalm is much more oriented towards that uniformity of both config and getters and also much more towards API interactions, which is obviously what we want. Right. All right. Now we've talked about several use cases, things that uh, you're doing with Nornir that you could do with Nornir. So we have kind of a sense there of what it's good for. When is Nornir not a fit? When's it a bad choice to use Nornir? Anything come to mind? I would say then that you shouldn't be using Nornir when you want like like a single tool that does everything for you. Like we're targeting a very specific use case, uh, which is how to interact with a device in a push model where meaning that is your tool actively interacting with the with the device um like going back to your salt example like your salt example you have like this bi-directional communications right so you're pushing um data but you're also retrieving data in some uh, automated fashion when something happens on the on the device, so you want like a single tool that does everything. I would say like Nornir is is a is a poor choice. Like Nornir is more aimed at do one thing, do it well, and if you need to do more, like you need to do more complex stuff, just hook it into something else. Like Dimitri was saying before, just build a web framework, uh, provide a web hook so other systems can tap into it or hook it into Stackstorm or something else. Yeah, and I, I'd add too that I mean, Nornir is Python, so you definitely have to have, as we talked about before, you have to have some amount of skills in Python, and you know, the, you either have to be willing to learn those or have those, and that sort of you know, depending on your organization, depends on your organization's direction. So, if your organization is heavily invested in some tool, whether that's Salt or Ansible, and you don't have those Python skills, then you're probably going to you know struggle. To get using Nornir. Now you just scared everybody off, Kirk. Well, you know, it, it is Python. So, you know, <laughs> Ansible has, you know, you know, we talked about a lot of Ansible's flaws, but there's, you know, there is, you know, nice things about Ansible, especially on the getting started part. Like Ansible getting started can be a pretty nice on-road. And I, you know, I think across time it gets much, much more painful and you can quickly have problems, but it is easier on the getting started part. Yeah, I, I understand your point, uh, especially people that have never been exposed to a programming language before. I mean, I found Python easy to pick up, but I have a computer science degree. And even though it's a over 20-year-old computer science degree, and the languages I learned were nothing like, you know, they weren't Python. They were some really antiquated ones like COBOL and RPG2. Just understanding algorithms and stuff um, made it easy for me to pick up Python and really any programming language I've tackled. If you've never been there before, that that is a fair point to raise, that there is a, a learning curve to get your head into the fundamentals of programming, looping structures and variables and dictionaries and all the rest do take a little time to get your head around. 
and then being able to take that knowledge and apply it to your specific use case, network automation, that, that's a thing. That is a, certainly a hurdle to overcome. But, but again, going back to the, our earlier conversation, you know, Python's not a bad place to start because of the huge community and all the learning resources that are out there. You also have this trade-off of learning a whole bunch of DSLs that you don't ever really get all that great at versus learning one general purpose language that you can start to continually improve across time. So there is that trade-off. You know, Ansible actually has two programming languages you have to learn, which is, you know, their YAML base and also Jinja 2. So there is this big trade-off of, do I learn a whole bunch of DSLs and what value do I get out of that versus do I try to focus on one general purpose language and what value do I get in doing that? Yeah, that, that's a great point. If you're learning or if you're learning Ansible, you are learning things that are focused on Ansible. And uh, I think the point you're making here, Kirk, is that if you learn Python, it's good for a ton of things. It happens to have a network automation use case that we're talking about here, but Python's used all over for all kinds of things, uh, up to and including writing very large, uh, massive applications that happen to be Python at their base. Yeah, I mean, and expanding on that, like even if you learn near today, that means that you're learning Python. And if mm -hmm. two years from now, like some other shinier tool appears that is also written in Python, and it turns out that you don't like Nornir anymore, like everything you learn by using Nornir is already, uh, it can be reused to this other new fancy uh, tool. And I'd add one more point on that. I think in order to be successful with Ansible, you probably have to know Python because once you start running into some of these pain points in Ansible, the way to fix a lot of them is you basically break out into Python and you solve it with Python in an Ansible way, but you basically solve it with Python. Hmm. Okay, all great points. I want to know now how we install and start using Nornir. Um, there's some, I think, terms that are good to understand and, uh, you know, and just some basics that I think will help people visualize getting started with Nornir. So um, for the very beginning, how would I install Nornir? Can I get at it with PIP or what's my process? You can definitely install it with PIP like any other Python library. So it will be PIP install Nornir. There's one... A point though to make is currently support uh, Python 3.6 and higher. So this is one thing to keep in mind. As in there's no Python 2x um, support. It's you, you need to be in Python 3.6 or higher. Yep, it's over. Time to move on. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It's funny. I just started on a new Python project recently, and it's like, well, since I'm starting new, do I stay back in? Because there, there was a reason to be on Python to a while ago, which was there was a lot of libraries out there that didn't work in Python 3 necessarily. They were written for 2 dot whatever. Uh, so I was like, eh, I'll hang around. I'm not going to make the shift. Uh, it seems like everybody's happy in two, and I'm not so sure when I move to three, but it, it does seem like we finally reached that tipping point, and Python 3 is the place to be. Yeah, I agree. In the networking world, I think like NC Client was like the like the biggest roadblock for 3.6 because they, they were supporting only 2.7 for, for a while, but now that they support 3.6, I, I think it's time to, to move on. But you get a lot of performance benefits, like 3.6. I think it's 60% faster than 2.7. And also, it provides a lot of... Um, it, you can simplify a lot of your code if you're using uh, 3.6 and higher. That's mainly why we decided to just go 3.6, because the 
the code became so much simpler in many, many ways, especially dealing with multi-threading. Hmm. Yeah, and a lifetime of Python 2.7 is not very long now. It's like there's eight months left as far as how long the core maintainers are going to be maintaining Python 2.7. So, yeah. Um, oh, well, don't, don't, don't worry. Red Hat will support 2.7 yeah, well, for oh, years yeah, yeah. To <laughs> I mean, certainly there'll be plenty of people, but it's just, you know, I think we definitely have crossed that tipping point. There's going to be fewer and fewer libraries that have it. It's going to be harder you know, to keep getting it. So, but yeah, there's certainly the OS people that keep maintaining it for a long time. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good point to raise because even two years ago, it was a very different discussion. Do I go two or do I go three? And it was, eh, you know, now again, that the tipping point's been reached finally. Here we are in 2019. So, well, okay. Aside from 3.6 or up as a dependency, are there any other nor near dependencies I should be aware of? I think all the dependencies are handled automatically for you. Like uh, like Pip is going to be installing like things like Napalm and Edmico and also Jinja too because those are the the main components. But yeah, other than knowing that it's three point six plus, like if you install it with Pip, all the dependencies will be handled. Got it. Let's take a break from the podcast to talk about building scalable data centers with sponsor Cumulus Networks. And to me. A scalable network is one that you can grow over time without ripping out everything you had before and starting over. To do this, you start with a design that is intended to be grown and layer over the top of it the security and segmentation you need to support your customers. And over time, you're going to want to automate this, integrating your at-scale network operations with the rest of your infrastructure ops. I spotted an interesting customer quote on the Cumulus site that speaks to this. Wataro Ishida, an engineer at the NTT Software Innovation Center, says, quote, The openness which Cumulus Networks brings to the network world has a huge impact on us, making the best use of the openness of Cumulus Linux. We are running Kubernetes, Calico, Docker, and GoBGP on top of Tor switches, which enables high flexibility and low operational cost, end quote. Did you catch what NTT is running on the switches themselves built on the Cumulus Foundation? Yeah, you're not creating a siloed network anymore, at least you shouldn't be. You should be creating a network that's an integrated part of the larger IT stack, whether that's hyper-converged infrastructure, private cloud, or something in between, and Cumulus describes this as something epic. If that's what you're building, visit cumulusnetworks.com slash epicpushers for more information. Once more, that's cumulusnetworks.com slash epicpushers. And now, back to today's episode. When I was reading the documentation and how to get started with Nornier, uh, I ran into the term inventory uh, over and over again. It seems to be the major thing that you are working with when you are working with uh, Nornier. So please explain the Nornier inventory. Yeah, okay. So that's a good point because it's actually something uh, somewhere where it differs from, from Ansible. Like it's starting from the beginning. Like Nornier comes with a plugin uh, for, for the inventory by default, which is uh, just YAML-based, like everybody more or less is familiar with. And it also comes with a few other plugins to interact with uh, backends like Netbox, uh, NSOT, and even with the same YAML files that you could be using with um, with Ansible. So, then, what, so what that means um, is that you, by default, you get a simple inventory, which is just in YAML files. But you can swap out and use other inventory systems and you can create your own inventory system. So if you have an Ansible inventory, you could reuse that. If you're trying to interface to some, um, you know, DCIM or IPAM system, you could potentially use that. So it's a pluggable inventory system and it defaults to this simple inventory. 
Yeah, it, it's not. I mean, I don't have a discovery process as such. I need to seed that inventory in some way. Either I'm going to be manually creating a structured file, I'm going to be importing from something else that happens to be supported, like you mentioned, uh, Ansible. I could, if I knew the right hooks and uh, how to access the data, pull it in from my IPM system, etc. And and all of this stuff, uh, the the things that are in the inventory, we're talking about my network devices, routers and switches, and so on. Correct. It could be anything, but yeah, like by default, because we are in a network engineering context, it's always going to be like network devices, uh, groups, those devices might belong to, etc. Oh, but that's an, that's an interesting point you made there. It doesn't have to be that. It's just got to be, basically, it's a structured file and I can make inventory contain whatever I want to, even though we're talking about network automation, routers and switches and so on. Are there other sorts of things I might find in my inventory in uh, Nornir? Other you know, use cases or whatever that's popped up? When, when you're reading the documentation, you see that we are all, all the time talking about the, the inventory. That's because uh, the inventory is kind of the centerpiece of, uh, of Nornir. Like, for instance, if you're writing a playbook in, in Ansible, your device is the centerpiece of, of everything, right? Like, you're you're writing a playbook that is going to configure something, it's going to connect to the device and get this or, or that. So you're always focusing on, on one device. Then Ansible is going to take care of, make, it's going to make sure that those playbooks run on, on many devices, right? On, in Nornir, what you focus is on the inventory. So the inventory comes with a simple query language. So you can say things like, oh, give me the devices that meet uh, this particular criteria. And the criteria can be something like, it has to be NOS uh, equals uh, iOS and software version equal greater than this particular thing. And that's going to return a subset of, the, of your devices, right? Because not all of them may meet that criteria. So now you can execute uh, your task on only those devices. And then when you're done, you can make a completely different query and execute some other task on another subset of of devices. So now we're talking about devices because, well, this is packet pushers and we talk networking and all that stuff, but that inventory could contain anything. Like you could be using, uh, I don't know, near to, to insert your stamps collection into a database. Like you put that into your YAML file and then you just push it into some... SQL uh, database. Like Nornir doesn't really care what's in your, your inventory because it's up to you to query the inventory, get the, the elements that you want, and execute the tasks that you want on them. Got it. I understand. Hope that, yeah. I, <laughs> I hope that made any sense. <laughs> no, it did. It did. It, and then that really clarifies it. And it's, it's, I think the point is that, yes, the what we're, we are meaning to do with Nornir is tied to network devices. And so, of course, network devices are what we are going to find in, in our inventory because that's what we care about. But it doesn't mean that's what Nornir is limited to. And in fact, there are other sorts of objects we could uh, put into that inventory and, and, and act on them. It's not like we're locked into this specific hierarchy of uh, network devices. That's the only sort of thing that Nornir could interact with. It could be whatever uh, we choose to put in the inventory, which is good to know because I find 
as I get into different projects, uh, my brain goes in the what if direction. Ah, what if I could do, you know, I don't know, fill in the blank with something interesting that you didn't think of going into the project, but then it pops in your head as a possibility. It's nice to know you've got the flexibility to do whatever that what if scenario is. Yeah, I guess I'll have to do some tutorial example with, I don't know, like some Star Wars reference <laughs> instead of network devices. <laughs> All right. So that again, that that Nornir inventory is specifically it's made up of um, uh, of JSON objects or YAML files. What what is it actually? So internally, it's just going to be a native. Python data structure, but as a, as a front-end, the inventory plugins are going to translate um, different sources into those internal data structures. So you're using the, the one that comes by default. The, the thing you're, you're going to be seeing is just a bunch of YAML files. If you're using like the Netbox or NSLT uh, plugins, for instance, what you're going to be seeing is the JSON that those APIs uh, return. So in a simple inventory, you would have something like a host.yaml file where you would define your individual devices. You would specify things like a host name, potentially, you know, username, potentially password, potentially something about the platform. You know, is this Cisco IOS? Is this Junos? Um, and then you might specify some generic data and you might also specify some connection specific things to help the integrations to Napalm and NetMiko. And then we also have this layer of groups. So there would also be a groups.yaml file. And then you could obviously uh, categorize things of like, oh, for all these, whatever Cisco IOS devices, they all share these common attributes. So I'm going to stick them in the group. Or for everything that's in data center one, they all share these common attributes. So I'm going to stick them in the groups. And then there's a higher level file, defaults.yaml, where you can even go farther and say, okay, this applies mm -hmm. to everything basically and pull that information from there. As Kirk said, this is a great place to start uh, is to use simple inventory or directly our invent uh, Ansible inventory plugin if you are migrating from Ansible. But then when you are moving to more complex automation systems, what you, you would probably end up doing is writing your own inventory plugin. And we do have examples for that, which uh, fetch uh, data from different sources, from maybe your own custom database, from your uh, inventory system, maybe from uh, Active Directory, whatever that is. Yeah, and so to you know to expand on that a little bit is you know Nornir is all Python. So as David mentioned, it's internally stored as you know Python data structures. So you can have inventory come from a totally different source, and you just have to um, basically fit it in and make it work with the Python data structures that Nornir requires. Well, so let's say I've done the installation. I've got Nornir. It's there for me. Is there some sort of Nornir version of Hello World that I should start with? If you're interested in network automation, I guess that the easiest thing to, to do would be to use either Napalm or NetMiko to get, to get some data out of the, the device. So I guess that would be the, the Hello World sort of program for, for Nornir. If you go to the official documentation of Nornir, we have a lot of uh, tutorials that are actually based on uh, Jupyter notebooks. And for those that are familiar with Jupyter notebooks, you can execute them live, actually. So you can even open them, uh, change the code, execute. So 
everything is in in that format, so you can play with it, or you can just try to write something. Yeah, and so expanding on what David said a little bit, you know, what I would probably do is, you know, one, take the tutorial on the documentation, but then couple that with some sort of very simple inventory, maybe just like two hosts in the host.yaml file, um, either do Napalm or NetMiko in a very simple operation and then get that running and then you can start expanding on that. Yeah, that sounds like actually what something I'm going to try. I've got an iOS XRV lab because I'm studying segment routing, and so I stood up a bunch of routers so I could start fiddling with um, uh, segment routing and looking at command line output and, and putting some pieces together from the theory of segment routing I'm reading into what it actually looks like when implemented on routers. And that's a small little lab with just six routers in it. And it's like, hmm, I should throw a Linux box into this lab and get Nornia running and see if I could get it pulling inventory from that lab and uh, giving me input uh, or information about the uh, the routers that I have in there. That would be a very gentle way to start, a very controlled environment uh, where I have the luxury of blowing things up if it uh, <laughs> and not hurting if um, if it doesn't go well for whatever reason. Yep, sounds good. Okay, well, last question, gentlemen. Is there a Nornir community? Someplace I can go for help and get all my dumb questions answered because I'm sure that I will have them. So the the main place would be the network to code uh, Slack. We have a Nornir channel there. And, and Kirk, I, uh, myself, Dimitri, Patrick, and many other people are uh, in there just helping anyone with, with questions. If you don't want to use Slack, you can always just open a, a GitHub issue with your question and someone will take care of it and help you out. Got it. And the Slack channel is pretty active. There's usually, you know, multiple questions or multiple things going on a day. So there's definitely, um, you know, it's a pretty active community there. Now, where are you guys at in the development process for Nornir? I think it's a pretty early 1.0 release, if I remember right. Is that... Um, uh, do you have other developers that are working with you? Are you looking for other people to help move things along? Is it pretty stable right now? What are your thoughts on the current state of Nornir development? So right now it's quite stable. Like we don't expect any major changes to the library anytime soon. And by major changes, I mean like to the API. Like if you're writing uh, some code that it shouldn't break on a on an upgrade of a newer version. So I think it's pretty stable. And if you want to contribute adding new features or um, adding new plugins or coming up with new use cases, I mean, you're more than welcome. Just hop onto GitHub and... Yeah, GitHub issue would be the way of uh, discussing uh, new ideas. And if you have a plugin that doesn't require any change to the to the core of Nornir, just open up here. Like, here's my plugin. And to add to that, uh, whenever I want to introduce some breaking change to Nornier Core, uh, David slaps my wrist. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, Dimitri, David, and Kirk, thank you very much for sharing about uh, Nornier and uh, getting getting some ignition, uh, getting the ignition key turned for some of us that uh, that want to try this thing out. Uh, let's go around the table. I want to know, I want you guys to tell people uh, where they can follow you. If you have a book or a class or anything else that you want to promote, please feel free. Uh, let's start with you, Dimitri. I'm very active on Twitter. You can find me at DMFigal. I also do occasional uh, live streams on network programmability topics on Twitch. Uh, and you can find the recording of those on my YouTube channel. 
on Twitch. Oh, you are one of the cool kids, aren't you? Oh boy. All right, I'm gonna have to check that out because uh, I, I'm constantly reminded that Twitch isn't just for gaming anymore. Twitch is being used as a live stream platform for lots of folks, and uh, and I do need to check that out. That sounds interesting. Thank you, Dimitri. Uh, Kirk, you. Yeah, so you can you can find my main blog up on if you search for Python for network engineers, you'll see me. I'm also on uh, Twitter at Kirk Kirk Byers and on LinkedIn as well. Excellent, and uh, David. Yeah, my blog is on uh, drivetech.com and my Twitter handle is uh, dbarrosop, uh, but I'm not super active on, on any of those, but every now and then I try to either tweet or, or blog. Now, David, does Nornir have a like a landing page that you want to direct people to? Like right now is the, the Read the Dogs page, I would say. So that would be like nornir.readthedogs.io. Yeah, and that, that's where I ended up too, with just a quick Google search. I landed on that and uh, did a bunch of reading and prep for the show. Uh, thanks again to the three of you for joining Packet Pusher today. And thanks to you for listening. We hope you learned something. And if you did, you can learn even more at packetpushers.net. Since 2010, we've been publishing podcasts by and for IT professionals. And by the way, not just podcasts, written articles, newsletters, videos too. The goal is to keep you up to date on vendor products you buy, the latest in networking, cloud automation, and more. Professional career development, that, that's the big idea. And you can find all about that at packetpushers.net on the subscribe page. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.